Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest, now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, we have some fun casting news over at Days of Our Lives. Uh, Brandon Barash, who stepped in for Tyler Christopher to wrap up the Stefan Demera story, is back in potentially a new role. Now, Stefan was killed off last fall, and his heart went to Julie. And even though it's Days, I mean, I assume he's going to be playing a new part. Suffice it to say that the show will absolutely be addressing his resemblance to Stefan. And he will cross paths with Camila Bannis's Gabby, which should be certainly interesting for all of the Stabby fans. Totally. Um, Brandon actually made a really fun video complete with an original song announcing his return on the Dual app. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it is definitely worth the download, as is the Dual app in general, which I have said many times here on the podcast. In other ins and outs in Salem, we'll also see the exits of Teo Penglis and Leanne Hunley, who will wrap up their visit as Tony and Anna, which, I mean, it's really too bad because, in my opinion, I love seeing these two on screen, and I think they bring so much to the canvas. Yeah, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Their Salem roots run so deep. They're both a real value add to the show. Now, last week, we talked about how Kelly Tebon, who had been airing as GH's Brit, was making her Salem debut as Zoe. And now this week we learned on screen that Britt's return trip to GH was rather short and that Britt got a better job offer in Boston and left Port Charles. Right? I mean, she's uh, not going to be fun employed anytime soon. She got a better job offer in Boston and left Port Charles to go to join the staff of a hospital there. But I'm really sorry to see her go, especially before any like real story got going for Brit, because I really enjoy her on GH. Uh, but I know that the show values the character as well. And so I certainly think we could be seeing her again, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, I hope so, too. Another casting tidbit from Days is that Remington Hoffman, who we saw on the Duel app as Lee Shin in the latest installment of Chad and Abby in Paris, is coming to the broadcast show in the same role. I mean, I think it's such a cool concept that they're pulling from the web series and using the character to move story in Salem. And I mean, I'm going to say it again, that app is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I got to say, Remington Hoffman, that would be a great soap name if it wasn't taken by the actor. (laughs) Um, Now, in the new issue of Digest, we also spoke with Crystal Khalil, who has been coming in and out of Genoa City as Lily for the last little while because uh, Crystal uh, relocated to Canada with her partner and her son. But she is back on YNR in a more sustained way with what seems to be a big story on the horizon now that Lily and Billy are working together. And she tells us that she's thrilled to be back in the mix and that this move in a corporate direction is something she's always wanted for her character to be like a boss lady and in a position of power. And I'm such a Lily fan. And I think she's such a key character to have on the canvas as a connective tissue, if you will, for the Winters family. And I'm thrilled for the show and for the fans that she has agreed to take on a bigger role. You know, she also says that she's, you know, hoping to move to L.A. for the summer so she could do more episodes. And, you know, fingers crossed, the shows will be back filming by then. Um, You know, I didn't realize how much I miss Lily until she came back in a more meaningful fashion like she has. And I think there's definitely a lot more story to tell with her. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Mara, you and I both have such a deep connection to another world. Um, It's the first soap I covered here at the magazine, and I know you were a viewer before you started here. Um, Today, we're talking to Ricky Paul Golden, who played Dean Frame on the show. And I think it's fair to share that you and I both YouTubed Dean's songs, uh, Lady Killer and O Jenna, last night. And I think it's fair to share that, A, we still know all the words to both of those like absolute bangers and B that while I am not a jealous person per se, I will never get over the fact that you were actually on the set of another world the day that the lady Miller lady killer video was taped. I'm actually glad we're not together right now because I would be unable to look you in the eye without shooting daggers (laughs) that's amazing i mean it was definitely a memorable day there i'm not gonna lie um you know they did a lot of special episodes back then there was one that they did like with the orient express theme and there was another one i can't remember but it was definitely a great show to cover as the first show i covered here at the magazine for sure well, I was such a huge fan of Dean and Jenna, and even just watching the few brief clips that I did last night, I totally remembered why. Uh, Dean's hairstyle and his shirts, <laughs> by the way, they were just as epic as that romance was. That was another observation I had while on YouTube. Um, but they were such a big deal, Dean and Jenna, that not only were they on the cover of Soap Opera Digest, which was a rare achievement for two young actors and their first soap roles, which... Ricky and on another world. Like that really wasn't a show that we put on the cover a lot back then. Right. And not because y'all didn't love it, but because it didn't have as like, you know, big of an audience. Um, But Ricky and Ala Karat who played Jenna, they were like both brand new and uh, hit it so big in those roles. And they also did a whole location shoot for them where like the lady killer video played on the jumbotron in Times Square. And we saw Dean and Jenna seeing them up themselves, like up on the big screen, like, that was so amazing. Um, and then Ricky, who's such a likable performer, ended up being a big hit on Guiding Light as Gus and then on All My Children as Jake as well. I remember um, so well going to lunch with him uh, to interview him when he was making that jump from Guiding Light to All My Children. And he had a whole stack of research about Jake with him that covered like his relationship history all the way to his food allergies, like literally Jake's food allergies. Uh, And Ricky was diving into them to prepare for the role. And he's also just one of the sweetest guys around. So I am so very excited to chat with him today. Well, me too. And on that note, let's start chatting with him. Hi, Ricky. Hello. Hello, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Oh, we are so excited to talk to you today. We've actually yeah. been discussing it all week, so um, we are no, very no happy. pressure. Yeah, no <laughs> pressure, or anything. First of all, how are you doing? We're doing fine. I mean, you know, so many people are suffering. We've we have friends of friends that you know people have lost people. It's insane. We're blessed. We we went through a lot in 2019 with with breast cancer with uh, my wife with Greta, and so she's still doing the ends of chemotherapy, we, they didn't want to continue doing the therapy sessions, if you can imagine, because everybody was taking in the Corona, you know, Corona cases. And it was insane. We had to get out of New York, too many people coming in and out of our apartment building because she's immune compromised. So we, we came out to, um, we're about 10 minutes from Montauk all the way out on the Island, just like, um, living like hermits out in a cottage out here and going into New York once a week to do the chemo. But, you know, the hardest part, I think, is the kids. You, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I, I read something on the Internet yesterday that the real little heroes, I mean, all the first responders, all of that, of course. And then our little, what about our little heroes, the kids that, you know, they're not used to this. And well, then why do I want to kill my little heroes in my house? Right? <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> I'm sure you're not alone. Yeah, it's they're like they're like bouncing off the walls. I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to create create things, you know. And I, I said this before. Uh, I said this to another friend of mine, you know. Other, fa- you know, it's like you you think of it. Couldn't it be like a sweet movie of the week? Like you know, I really got time here to bond with my family and the kids and play Monopoly and Canasta every night. But it's not like that. <laughs> it's 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 you know you. You are trying to communicate with people in the outside world, grandpa up in Boston and and our and some of our friends on the West Coast, you know, and all that. And the kids need to be on their iPads, at least Kai, who's nine, does his school on the iPad. And then the little one, 
has been watching Boss Baby about, uh, God, 200 times. I know the whole script by heart. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's kind of the story. It's our story because I have an eight and a half year old and a two and a half year old. So the eight and a half year old is trying to negotiate with the two and a half. And anyway, you get it. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, well, tell us how Greta's feeling. She's amazing. You know, I, uh, I told, I, Stephanie knows me for a long time. I got slammed in the head with a frying pan the day I met Greta Monahan. It just took me out of like, out of circulation. She's the best person. She, can I tell you something, even with everything we went through last year with this breast cancer, which is a freaking nightmare. Uh, even when she'd cry in my arms, she would, she'd laugh through the, through the tears. Like she found a way to be laughing when she's crying. And I've never met anybody like that. You know, actors for the most part, we've got lighter sides and dark sides and all kind. you know, I don't know, maybe that's why we're all like a band of gypsies. You guys too, you're in our, we're all in this business, right? So we, we, we seem to band together and I'm just was so lucky to meet somebody with an even temperament, <laughs> that, you know, that, uh, that, uh, that is like my, she's like my heroine. She's my, my hero. And, um, you know, she's just such a, she, such an amazing beacon of light through this whole thing that we went through with cancer. You never, you always think it's going to happen to somebody else and not your family, but I learned so much. I learned so much last year and I learned so much from her, you know? Mm-hmm. She's amazing. For anyone who's yeah. never met her, I can vouch for that. Um, so anyway, we thought it would be fun, you know, while we're all at home sort of being nostalgic, we're going to take a little uh, look back in the life of Ricky Paul Golden. <laughs> and yeah. we're going to start at the beginning. So God. you were born into something of a showbiz family. Your mom was an actress and your father was an entertainer and hypnotist. Um, so how did your own love of performing come about? My own love for it? Well, um, my mom and dad, when they, got, when they got separated, I just started going on TV commercials and stuff when I was seven. I guess I just was like a precocious kid and a, I'd come in and, I, you know, you want that attention. I think the bottom line is that, what, first of all, I, I got to tell you, it came out of necessity. When my parents broke up, um, we went from being really kind of well off to being completely broke, me and my mom. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, we were living in a in a in a in a lady's house named Mrs. Lowen, who was a a rich rich lady, but a hoarder and a weird. You know, I don't know, Steph. I ever told you this, um, yeah. or Mara, but my mom was um, she had no choice. We she rented a bedroom in this woman's house. This woman had like 150 cats. I am not exaggerating. She was out of her mind, but she was a very wow. nice person, a nice soul. My mom was renting a room for like 20 bucks um, for a bedroom, one for me and 20 bucks for herself. And we lived in that house for like three years. So when I say it came out of necessity, my mom started taking me into the city and trying out for TV commercials. And um, in the beginning, I remember I didn't get anything because I didn't know what I, I didn't know what I was doing. But I started to, to learn what pe that people what they want from you as a, as a kid. And so I started getting them. I know I was precocious. I was a, like a, uh, you know, I guess that was the thing that started to work. And so I started to book these TV commercials and that was really, I think they were bigger money back then, TV commercials than they are now, but they were really big uh, money for us, especially for us. We were completely broke. We were completely, we had nothing. And, um, I ended up getting really big commercials like ruffles, potato chips. And, um, I was the kid that said, uh, you sunk my battleship. I was the first kid that said that. Oh, for wow. that commercial. <laughs> That's oh you. my goodness. I am so much I more would, impressed yeah. with you than I even was when we got off the phone. Uh, <laughs> God help you. So uh, I, I, and then I did that commercial, like the little bunch of kids walking to the uh, museum of natural history and looking up at the dinosaur and going, Sure, glad I don't have to brush those teeth. And I did the Time Magazine commercial with uh, Brooke, uh, Brooke Shields, and I did the Time Magazine commercial together. So they started, and those wow. things would ran for like three, four, five years. I, I'm very lucky. Those commercials, I did, I did over 150 commercials when I was a kid, and four of them 
uh, I think it was four of them or five, whatever, won Cleo's, which is the only award you can win for commercials. And it wasn't because of me. It's just because they were kind of iconic commercials. And um, That's amazing. Um, so that paid for stuff. Like we were able to get a little apartment and this and that. And I just kept going. My mom just kept on. She, My mom would take me to an audition and not stick around. She's like, I'm not. She wasn't like, I have to be honest, not a stage mom. But she... She, I booked a lot of stuff. So she dropped me on the set and uh, know that there were caregivers there and say, I'll, I'll just come back. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to him or, or distract him when he's doing whatever. And those roles just got a little bigger. Um, when I was younger, there was movies of the week and there were movies of the week and there were after school specials. My son is putting his face up against the glass door. Hi. Can I? <laughs> Hi. Now beat it. <laughs> I'm, I love you. <laughs> love you. Love you. So um, I started doing those after school specials and movies of the week. And then I got a, I got some um, sitcoms, you know, I got a year on Alf and a year on Kate and Allie and a year on, and a year on um, 21 Jump Street. And since we were, we were New Yorkers, I was in love. I did fall in love with the theater. I, I think to answer your original question, I don't remember falling in love with show business. I don't remember falling in love. I just think it was the only thing I knew how to do, you know, and it was an escape because it was an escape from just being alone with my mom. You know, it was, I didn't have brothers and sisters. I've got brothers and sisters all over the world. My dad was a busy guy. <laughs> he, you know, he had six, <laughs> six wives. Did I tell you that wow. stuff? He had, oh you know, I feel like get like nice to meet you ricky <laughs> i know right in fact you won't believe that every year there's like a new sibling shows up on my honor i on my kid's life i just got a facebook thingy majiggy from a guy who lives in london he goes i just found out that paul golden is my dad and that's your father oh my and that's my father hi brother i'm like mm. I'm so busy right now i can't <laughs> i can't oh my god I is it like 23 and me stuff <laughs> happening yeah, he did a 23 and me or ancestry.com and he's been he's a lovely man from what I get what I, I gather. And I'll get into that when the smoke clears and I'll meet him and whatever in Europe. But in all in all all kidding aside there's like seven of us, seven children. Um Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, so but but for me and my mom it was just us in the United States. And so by the time I was 16, I I started to travel and shoot these little movies like in Ohio or Atlanta or whatever, LA. So then I, then I started to, then it was my thing. That's what I got. To, it was my own, my own thing. And I didn't know how to do anything else. And I started, that's when maybe I, it was my ticket out. So I really gravitated to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I'm so curious about is you made your Broadway debut when you were still a teenager, which is such an impressive feat. It was in on Golden Pond. What stands yeah. out to you about that experience? Well, um, that was a crazy time. You know, my when I was 16, our, our my mom and I, our our little house had burned down, and uh, we were oh. on a little we were on a little trip to Florida. Um, and I'll be honest with you, we my mom used to would drive this um, this uh, her job her job was to bring cars down to Florida, expensive, expensive cars. So they'd fly her down and then she would drive the car back up, some, whatever. It was a weird job. And she ended up working for BMW Road and Track magazine and stuff. So but we were away. We came back and our, our little house had burned down in the middle of the night. And five days later, and that's the worst if anybody's ever been through that. And then about five days later, I had a little manager for, you know, well, she wasn't little. I was little. <laughs> I had a manager and she's like, maybe it'd be nice if Ricky had this audition, just get his mind off um, get his mind off everything. And my mom's like, sure. I went into New York. I'm like, I've got black soot on me because we've been digging through our house. I had a Miami t-shirt on because all of our clothes were, we only had what we took to the, to Miami. And I went on, I went on the audition and, you know, I think it's because my head was so distant. It's a lot for a kid, I guess, to go through. And I got up on the stage and I did the audition and they said, we like your headshot. I'm like, I don't have any headshots. They all burned in a fire. Sorry. Oh my God. And then um, we read it about three weeks later, but you know, then everybody didn't have cell phones and stuff. We just you pay phones. And so we were in a coffee shop, Norman's coffee shop in, in uh, Woodmere, Long Island. 
And my mom read in, in uh, the post that this, this uh, was a Broadway audition about three weeks ago. And this boy walked in and he didn't have a headshot because uh, it was burned up in a fire. And he did the, did the audition for us. And his name is Ricky. And by the way, he got the part. We can't find him, but he got the part. Wow. That's crazy. So I, we ran to the pay phone and, you know, I got to be on Broadway. I didn't even really know how big a deal Broadway was, to be honest with you, but pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool indeed. Now, one of your first big TV roles was on the short-lived sitcom Hail to the Chief, playing the son of the first <laughs> female U.S. president, played by yeah. Patty Duke. So yeah. what do you remember about working with her? Wow. Well, I'm going to say a bunch of names from that show that nobody might know or some real old, you know, telev television aficionados would know. But Ted Bessel was my dad. He played, uh, he, he was like, a, that, I think he did a show called That Girl. He was the husband in that show. So Herschel yep. Bernardi, who was a genius comic. Dick Sean was a genius comic. He's the guy with the white, white hair who actually died on stage. He used to do a, a, a bit as a comic where he, every night he would fake having a heart attack on stage. And he'd fall to the floor to get a huge round of applause. And uh, he was very, very funny. He was in, in that movie, um, It's a Wild, 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 Wild World, mm -hmm. you know, or Mad, 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 Mad World. Look, I just got it wrong. Mad, 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 Mad World. Really funny. And then he actually died on stage having a heart attack in real life on stage. That's crazy. And so he was in it, Ted Bessel, Patty Duke, um, amazing people. That was all the same people that did amazing shows like soap and Benson and all these things. But the show was very irreverent. I remember all these nuns were in the audience once they would bust in anybody to fill up the audiences and all, <laughs> all the nuns walked out. I'm like, that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's a great sign. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I got to meet so many great, so many great people from that. And it led, you know, one job usually led to the next job because in, in our business, people are like, well, if those people took a gamble on this actor or this actress, then I can do the same thing and I'll feel safe by letting them be in my project. And that's usually how it went, especially for younger actors, you know, coming into their own, uh, you know, at that age. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. We are in challenging times right now, and it's harder than ever to connect with the right therapist. Fortunately, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping trauma, and family conflicts. They work with 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states to connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions without having to leave your house, which is incredibly important right now. If you're not happy, you can change and ask to request a new counselor anytime. There's no delay and there's no charge for doing so. And anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp is a lot more affordable than traditional face-to-face -face counseling, but just as effective. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash dishing. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash dishing. So you had been on like a whole lot of shows out in LA from St. Elsewhere to Alf to Kate and Allie. So how did you end up making your way back to New York and to your first soap role, the one, the only Dean frame on another world? What's the, what was the casting story there? I think the character was created for you. Is that right? Yeah, but it, it came about in a, in a weird way. I remember, I, and I was doing a lot more out in, in LA. I was doing all these independent movies. Night, I would shoot all night. We'd shoot all day. I did horror movies. I did uh, Piranha Piranha. I did Mirror Mirror with Karen Black. Lance Lance Henriksen from all the Alien movies was my dad in this other movie. James Cameron directed. I mean, these were not set out to be flops. You know, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. But I'd come home every afternoon, and Bo and Hope would be on my TV, and okay, and I thought that, that's 
unbelievable how much dialogue these guys have. Like, I mean, are they, and I would, I'd watch it every, I'd, I'd end up watching, I started becoming a fan of the show and just for sort of an acting lesson, like how are they doing this much dialogue every day? And then I thought, you know, I came from, I'm going to be honest, I came from kind of a broken home and I liked, I liked security. Like I liked the idea of, I didn't love going from job to job to job. And I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool. This guy, they've been on there for so all year. I watched this out there and they're on every day. And that, that's pretty cool. I actually called my represent my agents and said, you know, what, what are these soaps all about? And then I got, they said, that's so funny because this is audition, but it's back in New York. It's called Another World. I'm like, what's that? And they said, it's actually one of the better shows because they really concentrate on, you know, they really concentrate on the acting and it's, it's, uh, turned out it was a really nice show. I loved that show. I, so I went back to New York. I auditioned for it. I had no idea really what I was doing, to be honest. And I, um, but I, I knew that dialogue back and forth and forth and back and, you know, I did whatever. And I didn't get that role. But when I was walking out of the door for that audition, the, the head writer, it was Donna Swajeski at the time said, um, do you play an instrument? And I said, no. well, no, she goes, do you play the guitar? I said, I don't, I'm sorry. And I started to quick, I started to leave and I did turn around at the door. I go, but I, I play the piano, uh, the keyboards. And so I didn't hear from them for a month. And I thought, well, whatever, You're, we're used to that rejection. 99% of the business is uh, you just got to grow a thick skin. And then I got a call and they said, they want to do this thing with you. Um, they were thinking, you know, would you come on and would create this character called, and it was a different name for a rock star, a kid that becomes a rock star in the show if you play the piano. And uh, so we met up one more time and it, it really became a thing. It was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because especially at that time, you know, our audiences back then, guys, were like 13 million people watching those. And nighttime shows were getting like 33 million people watching, you know. So, but mm -hmm. still 13, 14, 15 million people. And those were the lower rated shows. Then they were like nine, 10 million, then seven, eight million. Now they're like one or two million. And we get it. There's just more channels and more ways to watch everything. But it was definitely one of the, it was one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest blessings I think that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. And really the character of Dean was like lightning in a bottle. And then, you know, Dean and Jenna were such a huge hit. And you did get to show off your musical chops. Um, Mara and I were just talking about the unforgettable Lady Killer and Ojenna, <laughs> which I feel oh both of us can sing god. for you right now. Um, oh my god! <laughs> like, so Ricky, from start to finish, we could, we could do it. We, we won't, but we could. <laughs> Lady, <laughs> Lady Killer. Oh my god! Hey, Ricky, um, pop quiz: What was in his hand? With a rose in his hand. And yeah. a <laughs> oh God, I'm so happy. <laughs> what would you say are your standout memories from your three-year run in Bay City? Um, well, first of all, my screen testing for the for Jenna was in that that was you know that was amazing. I remember like there was a 25 people came in and when, when, um, Ala Karat came on, I didn't have a girlfriend or anything. And, um, when she came on, I, I remember going up to, um, Michael Lapson, I believe was our executive producer. And I said, I'm, I'm begging you. <laughs> I like that girl so much. I, I just, I mean, she's just, I mean, come on. Right. And he's like, and they don't listen to you. They don't really, well, they might care what you think, but really they, <laughs> don't care what you think. But I'm sure maybe when I left, they're like, well, you know, I mean, chemistry is chemistry. Maybe we could, maybe they'll have chemistry. So, um, <laughs> she, she did get the part. Um, and I remember there were like some taller girls than me. And I like, yeah. And there was a kid, there was a kiss in the screen, in the screen. Um, you had to do a kiss in this, um, screen test. So I, you know, worry about like getting today in this, you know, mononucleosis. Can anybody say that word? <laughs> but but uh, 25 people kissing them all day long. Terrible, right? Just horrible. But I do remember like some of them were like taller than me. So I'd have to go on my tippy toes. <laughs> not, not a track. 
Not attractive. I'm surprised attractive. that your hair didn't make up the difference. You were really like serious. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Steph, if you if you, if you realize my hair got taller and taller and taller as the years <laughs> as the years went on on that show. Yeah, you know, I actually got a permanent. I got a body wave. <laughs> it was the '90s. Oh goodness, it was a timeless look, really. So, uh, like, who were your buddies on that show, Ricky? Like, and the cast. Who were you uh, close with? Um, well, Ala was my best friend. I loved her. I mean, we were, you know, but, um, and also we hated each other. So we loved each other and we hated each other, <laughs> you know, um, but, um, but we were all, it was very fiery and she was a blast and, and Matt Crane, I loved Matt. He was, you know, he's a, didn't he just be, didn't he become a, um, a, what, what did he do? Stephanie became a, a sculptor. Yeah, sculptor. Yeah. But then again, no. Yeah, he became a sculptor. <laughs> um, and, you know, he, he he was always kind of, you know, he was a, he was a, you know, do you know that ba when I met him, you're not going to believe this, or maybe you know this, but he used to live in a, in an abandoned building. And he would, that he was, that, and I, I'm like, dude, you're a soap star. I don't, what do you, and he'd, he'd live in this abandoned building. He'd come in, he'd wear the same pair of jeans for a month. And he had, and he, and he had, he put all of his money into motocross and motorcycles. And, um, I just thought, wow, what an interesting guy, right? He was just such an interesting character in real life. They are. And then he met that great girl. Are they still married, Steph? Didn't he, ma they didn't he marry? They are still married. I just saw them at Linda Dano's house at Christmas. Oh my God. They have like two teenagers. It's amazing. Who look, you know, like each of them. And is Matt just as handsome as ever? He was a handsome kid. Yes. He and Robin are both still fantastic looking and so sweet. Is Robin on a show? No, no, they're, um, neither one is in the business. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a really good guy. And actually Paul Michael Valley was a trip. I remember he, bur he burned his, he burned his, uh, dressing room down once by accident with some candles. That was kind of funny. And I, the <laughs> last time I ran into him, he was a blackjack dealer in Las Vegas. Uh, oh, wow. Paul Michael Valley was a trip. Shaved his head. Not, he wasn't going insane. He was just going bald. So he shaved his <laughs> head, <laughs> uh, which happens to, you know, the best of us. Um, although I still have a lot of hair, but he's a, he was a sweet guy. And, um, and Linda Dana was one of my best friends in the world. And I, I love her dearly. I talked to Linda about three months ago, but we, you know, I, I just adored her. She was so good to me back then. And she was Linda Dano, you know, I right. mean. She was like our Susan Lucci. Yeah, she's awesome. Totally. And yeah. So, and Steven Schnitzer, he was a trip. Um, he was my, my uncle on the show. Uh, loved that guy. Um, Vicky Windham never talked to me ever. So, uh, <laughs> Did you try to talk to her? Rachel. No, she just wasn't having it. She had no time for me. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I was a punk. I was a punk running around the hallways, you know, with stupid long hair and earrings and cut off gloves. <laughs> you know, I was really living. I was really living in the moment. <laughs> I had to cut off Steph, Steph. I would I would wear the cut off finger gloves inside the building all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told Mara that I was there when you filmed Lady Killer, which I feel like you definitely had some cut off gloves in that. Oh, you, oh my you god, it was terrible. I had a bot I had a bodysuit. I had a bodysuit body on <laughs> for the day. <laughs> it was like a it's a delight. You really should go on YouTube if you haven't looked at yeah. it recently. And Ricky, when when you do, please explain you literally sing the beginning of the song and then the band sings the rest of the song. I don't think it was a great first single for Dean. I don't think it oh, showed him Oh, it's a terrible off. idea. The whole thing. <laughs> no, I sang the whole song. and it's, it's right, because you're so right. I, you're amazing that you know that I sang the whole song. They had me singing in the studio. They, I don't know how they had so much money back then, but I was singing like twice a week in the studio. I had my keyboards. I had all this. They gave me all this cool equipment. I was singing, I'd sing live on the show. I mean, I wasn't that great or singer or anything, but you know, they, they, they would tape it live to tape. And that was like making it on the air national. Like, wow, how did this guy get this job? But, but, but I will tell you, um, I did sing that whole song. And then in the mix, they just had the band takeover. They fell in love with that band. Rascal, I think was the name of the band. 
And she was an amazing singer, that girl. Like, she should have become a star. She was like a little Pat Benatar or some, like, you know, crazy rock and roll singer. And then they got all caught up in the music video part. And, I mean, it was a bit, you know, back then, they, they had it on the Jumbotron in Times Square. They, you know, they, t- they shut off streets so we could run through the streets, Dean and Jenna, <laughs> to look at it on the Jumbotron. It was like we had all the trailers, like we were doing, you know, Mission Impossible 6 or something. We, <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, but I don't know why they did that stuff. They, maybe I didn't hit the high notes well enough. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but so that is funny. really like some pretty heady stuff for your first job, you know, or your first soap job, I mean. Oh, it was it was incredible. I we, I used to sleep in my dressing room sometimes because we were working so much, you know. I remember mm-hmm. um, Alice was Alice, Alice Barrett was that right? Alice yep. Barrett played my auntie and she'd always come in to the makeup. She goes, how are you on the show so much? <laughs> I go, <"I'm, laughs> I said, what? What did you say? She goes, you're on like all the time. I'm like, well, whenever I'm on, you're on, you're mostly on with me too. What do you mean? Like, you know, what do you? I said, I'm pro- I'm getting paid a nickel, you know, and you're getting paid. <laughs> I mean, they're probably just. It was funny because so you'd have some of that stuff in the cast sometimes, but for the most part, everybody was really very loving on that show. That's awesome. Well, why did you ultimately decide to leave? Um. Yeah, well, because Tommy Toon used to watch that that show. He's a big Broadway performer and producer, and he he picked me to uh, to do Grease on Broadway from from that show. Which well, that's why I say that's one of the biggest blessings of, of my life. So Tommy Toon and Jeff Calhoun picked me from that show to star in Grease, and everybody in the world wanted to star in Grease. Um, I think that by then my hair was had the John Travolta hair look thing going on. <laughs> And I was able to do a good, I was like, you know, Sandy, there must be two of us or something. <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> and so I just had a great, I had a great, and by the way, on, on, so on that one, I mean, everybody in the world wanted that. John Stamos wanted it. And John Stamos was always getting every role that I wanted. He used to make me so angry because he was on a bigger show and he had better songs. He had better hair, <laughs> better clothes. And uh, John, and then you know, Full House came out. He got that. You know, I don't, uh, Steph, I never told you. It was like between me and three guys, and Stamos got it. I'm like what? So you <laughs> so, could have been Uncle Jesse. Yeah. So you know, but I got. He wanted. Nobody got. I was so lucky. And one of the little things I did on that show was, um, I got to thank my mom for this. Back in those days, I had a big audition in New York. And um, and by the way, when I did the scene with Sandy, and she slams the door. Uh, on the car and, and it like gets Zuko, it hurts him, you know? And so mm-hmm. when I did it in my audition, I, instead of going, Oh, like that, I just, I went, IV. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember hearing Jeff Calhoun whisper to Tommy tune in the audience. They were just the only ones in the audience with some stage directors or whatever stage managers. And they go, great. We're going to hire the first Jewish Jenny Zuko. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which they did. And, but thanks to my mom, I wanted to just, I just remember that they said, well, our, our producers are going to be, they called my manager and said, you know, the, the Weisslers were the producers and the, and the other producer, the, the wife, Barry and Fran Weisler, Fran was going to be in LA next week. And I just said to my manager, that's so funny. I'm going to be in LA next week. And they said, oh, you are? And I said, yeah. And they said, okay, well, maybe you can meet her too. So I wasn't going to be in LA, guys. I just made that up. <laughs> and, I, and I'm, listen, I'm, a, I'm like 26 years old, 20, whatever I was. And so I got on a plane and I rented a hotel room there. Thank God for Dean Frame because I had a couple of, couple of shekels in my pocket. And I rented a piano and I had it brought to my hotel room. And I sang wow. and I hired a singing coach. I got the best coach in LA which, uh, you took all my money, but I, I, he'd come every day and I, I, I'd sing him for five, six hours a day, all the book from Greece over and over and over. And then, um, uh, and then a couple of Beatles songs that kind of sounded like that. So I'd have some diversity if they asked me. And I went to the ballroom of the Beverly Hills hotel where we snuck in there and I sang for Fran Weisler. And I definitely wasn't the biggest or best singer. No way. There's no, cause I'm an actor who can sing. I was not a singer who could act. And I 
got down. I had a leather jacket. My hair was already big. <laughs> I had my Dean frame clothes in my suitcase. <laughs> I wore that to the Beverly Hills Hotel. And to be honest, like I was down to no money at that then. And I remember I didn't have my, I didn't have enough money to get my car out of the valet parking. And, uh, oh. and Fran Weisler came out behind me and I got in the ballroom. I got down on my knees and I sang, um, Oh, darling from, uh, um, Oh, darling, please believe me. And so, and I, and I kind of, yeah. And I, I'm sure I embarrassed myself, but I had, uh, she turned red, you know, she's like, she was like, um, my, my mom, like, you know, my mom's age and she was really, it was really cute. But when she came out to the, to the valet, I didn't have the money. She saw me like patting down my pockets looking <laughs> for the money. She's like, she's goes, I got his ticket. Let me take care of that. I think I'm going to be seeing a lot of you. Aww. And that was an amazing thing to be told. Right. So I, I, um, I went home and I'm almost done. I went home the next week. I was at, I was at Radio City Music Hall with Ala Karat at the Tina Turner concert at Radio City Music Hall. And my, I, I had a cell phone by then. My Motorola was ringing in my pocket with no, so I couldn't like, what, what? I can't hear you. It was my agent. And I ran down, there was a payphone in the lobby and it was in the lobby of Radio City Music Hall on the payphone where she's like, you got the part, you got the part of Danny Zuko on Broadway. Do you understand? And I hear, all I hear is like, I hear Tina Turner singing like, you know, singing so loud through the whole bill. I couldn't really hear, but I got it. And that's where I found out I got the part. So another amazing moment in my life. Really lucky. Oh, my God. How awesome. So amazing. Um, now, there's this whole other, like, part of your career that's so interesting because you were really ahead of the reality show curve, kind of in the same time frame. And in 1993, you produced and hosted Street Match. Yeah. Um, you've got to tell us about that and about kind of paving the way for the programming that we see all over the place now. I know. And we, when um, Street Match was a little dating show, it was just a reality show. We made the New York Times. We're in the cover of Arts and Leisure. And it's and uh, it was just introducing strangers on the street to see if they'd get along, a love at first sight kind of feeling. We were off, we, we did a whole season on ABC between Home Improvement and Wonder Years. And it, we made that pilot for 1500 bucks at the flea wow. market at uh, up on 77th street in Columbus in New York city, if anybody knows it. And, um, we just, we just ran some cameras and I hosted it and we were shocked that ABC wanted the show. We did it. And back in those days, like there was a lot of money per episode that you got. And they wanted us to do something called strip the show out as a syndicated show. I'm like, what does that mean? That means you put on the show five days a week. I'm like, what? Five days a week. We're not doing that. <laughs> we'll do it like once a week. Well, we were morons because <laughs> we, we, um, they just took street match and uh, pop up videos and they created a show called, um, blind date. And the rest is history. Like blind date took off. It basically was a street match type show. And, and we made a lot of other, I made a lot of other shows after that, but yeah, you know, that was, um, definitely one of the first reality shows. Uh, and I got to do it in the daytime. I mean, I got to do it because I was doing a soap and I, you know, you could make time in a soap to do something else if you stayed locally in New York or whatever. Like Greece, I started Greece at the same, I was doing Greece at night time and Street Match was on in prime time and Another World was on in daytime. So I was, I was, I was hitting, you know, I was batting a thousand right at that one little time. But then I had to leave Another World to be able to do Greece across they, Rosie O'Donnell and Billy Porter, myself, and um, some of the, I'm just great, great people. Uh, we had to tour it across America and bring it into Broadway that way to work out the kinks. That's what they wanted. So I had to ask to leave the show. And that's how I left. Now, you did return to daytime in 1999 as Gary on Young and the Restless, who was a bad guy. Um, tell us about your YNR experience. That was, I knew that YNR was the number one show. And I'm like, well, I'd like to be a number one instead of number like whatever another world was, the last one. 11 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we were always the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so, um, but it, it's like, you know, if you go, if you're working on another world or you're working on Steven Spielberg movie, you're not going to be a different person when you shoot. It's who you are. You're going to bring what you bring. So, you know, it's just the luck of the draw on 
and when I heard when I was driving around in California, I'm an out of work actor at that point, and my manager called and said, "There's a, there's a, they want to do this guest spot on on Young and the Restless," and I brought up your name, and they said, "Well, if Ricky would would do it, I'm not, I'm not bragging, guys. This is just, I was just very lucky that if he would do it, well, maybe we would do it longer." And so it started as a 12 week gig and ended up, I, Steph, you probably know better than me. It was like two and a half years, something like that. Uh, something like that because I got to work with Heather Tom and it became her love interest. But Young and the Restless was incredibly smart. What they used to do was, and I'm sure they still do it. Um, they bring in somebody that's the, the, the bad guy. And then everybody in town who's fighting on that, you know, in, on their, on the TV show, um, in the fictitious world, of course, they all have to band together one way or the other to take care of this evil. That's like an ongoing trick that you can use in daytime. And then I got the, I didn't know I was going to be the bad guy, to be honest, (laughs) (laughs) that like that bad a guy. And I was, I was definitely deranged. And, uh, I just got the, you know, so they signed me to a three-year deal, but it lasted two and a half years because they had to kill Gary Dawson or get rid of him. They had to put him in prison. Mm-hmm. I'm still in prison. Gary Dawson is still there, rotting away. <laughs> Free Gary. <laughs> you know what? Same fate that befell John Stamos's character on General Hospital. So there you go again. Another uh, similarity. Did they, re- they just yeah. brought really? Yeah. yeah. Did- Blackie, Blackie's oh still in prison too. <laughs> and for a so long, longer. Do they talk? Ab- <laughs> do they? Is he back on? Not him, but there's an actor playing Blackie, or they talk about Blackie? No, yeah. Blackie's still in jail. They don't even yeah. talk about Blackie. Still in jail. <laughs> Just, just rot, rotting away. Totally. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, when I left Another World, Dean Frame went on a world tour. I've been on a world tour for, I don't know now, 20 years? <laughs> Something like that. Best world tour yeah. ever. Yeah. yeah now totally. it's just like taverns and crappy bars. It's not a, it's not much of a, not much of a tour. I thought I saw him playing my lobby last week. <laughs> in Vegas at the, and not on the main stage, just like in the lounge. <laughs> Totally. He's like, he's singing like, he's got, he's singing Lady Killer with a cigarette. <laughs> Lady Killer. Come on. If you know the words, nobody knows the words. Except the one drunk guy. And, and Steph and me. <laughs> and, and you got comp tickets. You got the comp tickets. That's oh, so hilarious. Oh my goodness. You got to laugh. We got to laugh. So um, the following year that you wrapped up at Young and the Restless, you took on another extremely popular role in daytime, Gus Itoro on Guiding Light, which was your longest running role in soaps. So how did that job come about? Yeah, well, um, I don't remember the exact phone call that I got, but I remember that it came up, an audition came up and they were saying it's a, it's, it is a show. You know, I just lived in L.A. then for three years. Um, when I landed, that's when I got Young and the Restless. And now, like, it was going up, it's coming up to the three-year mark on with Young and the Restless. And then it's, and I set up my house and my apartment or whatever. And then my agents called, said, there's another soap that is interested in, if you would, uh, come to New York, but it shoots back in New York, Guiding Light. And I, again, I didn't, I had just, <laughs> I, you know, Young and the Restless was the number one show. And I looked up Guiding Light, it's like the number 99th show you know uh even though there was only 11 shows that was weird but it was the lowest rated it was like one of the lower rated shows but i did turn it on and i loved the style of the of the actors and and um it just had a i don't know it was i liked it so i was lucky enough to get that request uh for to go and audition and i auditioned for paul roush who was um um, a very colorful executive producer. He's gone now, but he was—he was, you know, he was very well, very well known, and I think very well respected in the business. And so I did the audition for him in in his big uh, office. And I remember when I was—I was like a 13-page scene, and every time I finished a, a page, I flicked it out of my hand, and it landed on the floor. And I walked around in a big circle. And I sat up on the couch that was in his, I sat up on the arm of his couch when I finished because I was playing it a little bit cocky, I guess. And uh, I did the scene and he was silent. And like the other two people that were in the room, I guess producers were silent too. And he goes, all right, are you done? And I go, 
Yeah, <laughs> scene. That's the scene. And he goes, okay. <laughs> You clean, you clean, can you clean all this shit up, please? <laughs> so I was like, I got red face like a tomato, you know, I was embarrassed. And I'm like crawling around now on the floor, picking up the pages of the script all over the office like an idiot. And he goes, no, he goes, no, no, that's good. And he actually said to me, are you ready to be back on daytime? And uh, I said, I would never have gotten on a plane, sir, and come here to meet you. And, uh, so that wasn't it. I said, that was cool. That was a great sign. I went back to LA and then they called and said, okay, we want to do a screen test. I'm like, oh, this is great. Piece of cake, you know? Uh, but when I walked back in to that studio a couple of weeks later for the screen test, there were like 20 other potential Gus Ituros sitting all over the place, you know, waiting. They also got their screen test. I'm like, this is ter the terror. That's when it feels terrible as an actor. You've you know, your all your uh, insecurities start coming up inside you, and you're like, "Am I good enough for this role? Is this role me? Look at that guy; he's like seven foot tall. You know, look at that guy. You know, wow, that guy's a handsome, studly dude. You know, look, that guy's blonde-eyed. You know, blonde hair, blue-eyed, total different opposite than me. But when I got in the, you know, Beth Ellers was just like ripping, ripping through people. You know, scenes, scene after scene. Um, with these screen tests. And when I got on there, <laughs> I don't know, was, I, you know, she was, she'd hardly look up at people. But um, I remember stepping out in that set and I, and she was just not engaged. And I said, are you going to look at me? In the role, in the characters, Gus, I said, are you going to look at me or what? And because, you know, the scene and she like, whoa, who's this guy? I don't know. She like either hated me a lot at that moment, but at least I had her attention. You know, and that's what you had to do with the with the, with somebody who was you know the powerful actor Beth Ellers. You know, well, speaking of Beth Ellers, Gus and Harley were one of the most successful pairings in the aughts on Guiding Light. So, tell us first of all about working with her and creating that couple and that dynamic. Uh, yeah. Well, she um, is a spitfire. You know, she was a she was she's always full. She was always a full throttle kind of actor. So you had to be prepared when you were when you're working with Beth Ellers. Um, and it just sort of became like uh, out talking each other. It became like a moonlighting. If you remember that show, of course. it became where we could. I think it started with her like basically helping me um, finish my sentences because I didn't always I never really memorized everything. Um, I didn't like the idea of having it perfect. But Beth knew every word, everybody's word. She, you know, she knew all my dialogue and her dialogue and everybody else in the room's dialogue. And all I could say is, I don't know how many years later, but we were at the Emmys. And again, we were kind of used to being ignored because it was, uh, you know, it wasn't one of the, the highest rated shows. But there we, we you know, we were at the Emmys and we won this, um, I don't remember the category. It was... We Most won. irresistible combination, I believe it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, who? They don't even have. They never. They don't even have that that category anymore because it's such a wacky category. But um, I, you know, you never saw two people more shocked in their lives because no, you know, we had. I, you know, we didn't even know basically that we, you know, have a shot in hell. We just would have a really good time when we worked together. And I think we went up there and I think Beth actually, we were just, all of a sudden, we were just audience members, like the other actors and, and at the Emmys. And the next thing you know, we're on the stage uh, at Radio City Music Hall. Pretty sure it was at Radio City Music Hall or, you know, so they did it in Kodak Theater a lot in LA and Radio City Music Hall. Um, it was Radio City. And, and you know, we're accepting, we're ex doing our acceptance speech and Beth is like, I'm just speechless. She said, I... You know, we're just doing our shtick. <laughs> and she, she would, there were many times that she reminded me of like Lucy Ball um, with her, um, with her, uh, more of the stuff behind the scenes at the show. And I got, I just got the biggest kick out of her. And I think more than anything, I respected her as an actor. And I really felt challenged by her at all, all, all the time. I was always trying to keep up with her as opposed to dragging somebody along with me, you mm -hmm. know? So I think that's what made it the most uh, uh, fulfilling for me. It's what made it the most irresistible combination. 
for everybody else. (laughs) 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 So your Guiding Light um, run came to an end in 2008, and you super quickly hopped over to All My Children. I feel like it was like a matter of weeks. Um, And there you played Jake Martin through to the end of the show in 2011. So tell us how that unfolded, you leaving Guiding Light and getting snapped up uh, to go over to Pine Valley. Well, Guiding Light was... um not the same show at the end, you know, we, they were running out of the, the budgets were very, were getting lower and lower and we were shooting on location a lot in a little town called Peapack, New Jersey. I believe it was New Jersey. Um, I could be wrong about no, you're right. that That's it. Jersey, but okay. But, um, and I, it just was, didn't feel the same. And, and quite honestly, I, I had a meeting with all my children before I left guiding light, um, with ABC and, I, I, what's funny is we talked about it at the time with the head of, of the ABC programming at the time. And he's like, well, what show uh, would you rather do general hospital or all my children? And, you know, I was a guiding light fan, so I didn't really know the shows that well, those other shows. I mean, I knew the actors, a lot of us were friends, but I just picked all my children because it was New York, mm-hmm. you know, yep. maybe I should have picked general hospital. I'd still be on. There. <laughs> and in any event, we, I, I got I did all my children, and then uh, a shocker. A few years later, they called us all together to say the show is moving to L.A. So one way or the other, I ended up back in L.A., and it was great. I knew Michael Knight was on All My Children also, and I loved him as an actor. And when they told me that it was his brother, I'm like, I'm all in. You know, where do I, where do I sign? Mm-hmm. Um, well, what stands out to you about working with Michael and playing brothers? Mm. Well. Again, he's another one of these geniuses that uh, can memorize things where just like snapping his eye, uh, eyes open and closed and he's got the page memorized. And we, we didn't rehearse a whole hell of a lot, but he, he, we would also have this sort of repartee that I was missing in my acting life that I used to have with Beth, you know? And, um, and so he and I just became these two and he would let me, it was kind of a, you know, we weren't as good as a Jerry Lewis and a Dean Martin, but it had that kind of um, quick going back and forth. And he didn't mind playing the straight man, letting me be like a banana peel, just, you know, <laughs> slipping all and sliding all over the place. And he was a very gracious actor, a very giving actor. And we just loved each other. So on uh, All My Children, I mean, we can talk about All My Children without talking a little bit about Susan Lucci. So I want to hear what comes to mind when you think of the grand dame of all my children, Susan Lucci, who of course played Erica. Susan Lucci is everything that everybody ever thought she was. She is the all time reigning queen of daytime. And I was nervous to meet her. I mean, there's only, there can only be one and, and she's it. And the only way I could ingratiate myself to her, I felt was, Anytime I'd see her, I'd say, oh, my God, it's Susan Lucci, right to Susan Lucci. And I would bend, <laughs> I would bend the knee and I'd bow to her and I'd say, our queen. And I'd bend <laughs> all the way down. And she's like, Ricky Paul. Oh, Ricky Paul. <laughs> she always loved. She'd always say my full name, Ricky, my full first name, Ricky Paul, Ricky <laughs> Paul, Ricky Paul. I, you know, to the, <laughs> And the one little thing I can remember, one of the million great things with, with Susan, uh, but you know, my, uh, my Greta has, has uh, shops and stores and salons, boutiques, and she sells one, one of the things in this, in this, the boutique she sells is shoes. Greta Monaghan, um, her store, Greta Lux sells beautiful high end shoes. And if anybody knows Susan, Lu- Susan Lucci loves shoes. And she also has a size, like a size six and a half foot. Okay. I know this because I became her personal shoe valet because I, I once <laughs> said to Susan, be it a good thing that I did it or not. I said, Susan, you know, Greta can get you an amazing Dion shoes or, or these beautiful, I mean, the kind of shoes that Susan likes there. It's not a joke. And so I said, no, Su- Susan, we can send you over like 20 pairs of shoes from Greta's store and you can try on every shoe you want to. And you can send back whatever you don't want and keep the ones that you do like. It's like, yes, Ricky Paul, that's what I'm going to do. Send all the shoes <laughs> to my dressing room. Now I became Susan. I became Susan's shoe guy or her shoe boy. 
because I was bringing in the boxes, loading them into her dressing room. <laughs> I'd have, she would try them on. She's like, Ricky Paul, what do you think of the, the white ones? Or maybe, what do you think of the gold ones? And I'm like, well, I think every girl should have the white ones, Susan. I mean, they go with everything, basically. They go with jeans. They go with evening wear. I said, but what are we talking about here? You're Susan Lucci. You can have both. You can have all these shoes, Susan Lucci. And she's like, that's what I am going to do, Ricky Paul. I'm going to have them all. And you're going to call Helmet and ask him for his American Express card. So I love her to death. I love her. We still text each other. Uh, we've gone on some double dates, her and Helmut, and myself and Greta, and we've done we've um, we've had double dates in New York, double dates in St. Bart's. Uh, she is one of a kind and a beautiful soul. Oh, that's amazing! And now you're back in the new season of Beacon Hill. It just dropped today. It is available for streaming. So tell us about season two and working on that. Well, I um, I got uh, I got together with Crystal Chappelle, who's a She's a, an amazing actor, but she's, you know, we have a lot, we're a lot in common. She loves to produce. She loves the whole process. So if you're not always in, in front of the camera, it's great to be behind the camera. It's great to create no matter what you're doing. And in, in Beacon Hill, we got to do both, uh, both roles in, in the same series. So she's, she's in the show, of course, and she's one of the creators. She gets, she, um, I got the pleasure of producing with her on this. Um, it took a long, a long time to bring season two back, but you know, in the digital world that we live in now, it's, uh, it's very forgiving. Nobody is, you know, if they, if they like those people or like the story or like the, um, actors or, you know, any combination thereof, they, they're liable to turn the show on and that's great. I was thrilled to come back. I can't, I can't wait for this season to drop. I mean, for people to see it and, and us to get rolling into a third season. This was, it's a political, uh, it's a political saga drama. And I love, I love those. I don't, I never, I haven't gotten to do many of those. And this guy is such a bad egg, such a bad guy, but I love playing bad guys so much that I give you an example. If anybody ever saw House of Cards with Frank Underwood played by Kevin Spacey, um, say whatever you want about Kevin Spacey, but he is an amazing actor and you made him he you made he made you hate that guy that he played Frank Underwood, the president of the United States, and how he became the president of the United States. It's so disgusting of a of a character, but you can't keep your eyes off him. And that's what I would love to be able to do with this character, Andrew, because this guy will stop at nothing and um, at, at nothing to get ahead uh, in the political world. So it should be fun to watch him. That's why I want I want there to be a season three and a season four. Well, here's hoping. So I know you're a busy guy and I know that you're ensconced in your New York life, but would you be open to doing another soap? Like you've been on YNR and you've been on B&B, but now you've got both Michael E. Knight and one of your real life besties, James Patrick Stewart on General Hospital. And I think it would be really fun to see you in scenes with the both of them. You know what? Um, in a In a heartbeat. I haven't been asked that question in a while, and we're um, we have amazing things going on in New York. I'm very I'm very lucky. We have a production company that keeps our doors have been open now for about six or seven years. We've got great deals going on, but in a heartbeat to be with those guys um, to go. Um, I mean, I'm a, I love Maurice. I love um, I um, see Burton. You know, the, but I know there's a lot of male energy on that show, but um, I'd come, I'd love to, I'd come in anytime and, and um, play with those guys because they're all really the best in the business. And Frank, who runs that show, it's, does such a stellar job. So um, uh, did you guys call me to, to give me any kind of news? Was, is that what this is? Is this like Hi. Ashton Kutcher and Punk? Come on out, Ashton. Come on out. What's going on? We have some news for you. Frank thought it would be fun if we pretended to do a podcast. <laughs> but really. <laughs> That'd be funny is uh, Michael Knight's doing Michael Knight's doing a Southern accent on there. I'll just go on there and be like, Right, hello, hello, hello. Um, who are you then? Right, it's nice to meet you. And I'll be British. And then, by the way, Pat, and then we just we just mess mess everybody's head up. He's doing a great job. I, I'd love. I would be with those guys any day of the week. I don't know what I would 
I'd have to break the news to my family that we all are moving back to California. <laughs> but, but um, the two-year-old is always so unhappy anyway. He's always crying all day. I mean, it can only go up from here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope so. Um, and we would love to see you back in daytime, of course. And we thank you so much for joining us and for giving us all the time you have. It's very You guys are the best. You, you know, I'll just say, take my hat off to you guys for keeping the, um, the, the stories going and um, doing what you do with this show because it's, it's, um, giving, it's giving, there's a very loyal fan base. Nobody knows this better than you to all of daytime. Uh, the most loyal I've ever seen. I've had friends on every kind of show, nighttime, primetime, anything, daytime, you know, internet, uh, Netflix. This, this audience still is there for their, the fans, and I call them friends and family, but they're fans of the show. So you guys are doing those fans and those friends and family an amazing service. So um, thank you for that. You're sweet. Thank you. you. Thank thank you for that. Wonderful. It was so great to talk to you. Same here. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Ricky Paul Golden for being our guest. If you like this podcast, we're on Spotify. So listen on Spotify. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.